Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday. Welcome into World Soccer Talk's Soccer Morning. Here we go. We have made it to Friday. We all take a deep breath. Sitting there, listening to the program live or on podcast, whichever way you partake. We appreciate it very much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. In fact, we took a call off the air yesterday, Trevor and I. Trevor's never on the air. You guys know this is a source of angst around here. Why is Trevor never on the air? Well, I don't know. He says something about his microphone. I don't know. It's, 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 it's not like the guy isn't capable. He just hasn't done it yet. One day it'll happen. But if you call us after the show, and we don't always answer, so don't start doing it now. But if you call us after we've gone off the air, immediately after, I feel bad about letting those calls go unanswered. So I typically answer them, and then we have a conversation. So uh, I'm not sure. I can't remember the gentleman's name who called after the show yesterday, but he said, I listen via podcast. I never know when to call. And he, and I, he me, and Trevor had a conversation. That's going to be a unique experience for the soccer morning community. Speaking of unique experiences, before I get into the news, uh, and two excellent guests for you today. Uh, Jeff Kasuf will join us to talk about the women's national team at 1030. And before that, our friend Dave Martinez from Empire Soccer will help set the stage for NYCFC's home opener this weekend. We'll also take a look at the Cosmos going down to Cuba, some things happening around New York soccer otherwise. But speaking of unique experiences, there is nothing. Let me just tell you this, because if I'm dragging today, you'll have to excuse me. There is nothing quite like being woken up at 3.30 in the morning by your six-year-old kid who has chosen that moment to throw up on you. That is, I mean, come on. Is that not parenting in a nutshell? I love my kid. I freaked out a little bit. It was gross. I tried not to get angry. It's not his fault that he got sick. But to be thrown up on in the middle of the night and then try to figure out how to go back to sleep after you've cleaned up the vomit. I, I, I'm probably grossing you out here while you're sitting over your breakfast, and I apologize. Let's just forget I said anything. I move straight into the news on a Friday morning. Europa League results from yesterday, a bunch of interesting games. You had Zenit, St. Petersburg taking down Torino. Wolfsburg beating Inter. So two Italian teams getting their, getting their butts handed to them, so to speak, uh, in the away leg. Club Bruges, 2-1 over Besiktas. Dinner Pro, one nothing over Ajax. Bad news tonight for Ajax in the news as well. A couple of their youth players arrested. That's not good. Everton with an ex- uh, with an excellent comeback against Dynamo Kiev at uh, Goodison Park. I watched some of that game. That's the Europe- Europa League game I partook of yesterday. Romelu Lukaku is so much fun. Uh, he had an excellent day and still missed probably two or three very good chances. Villarreal lost one nothing to Sevilla. Two Spanish clubs going at it in that tournament. Sevilla scored the fastest Europa League goal ever. 13 seconds it took them to score. Then they went on to hold on to that lead and win 3-1. Napoli wins 3-1 over Dynamo Moscow. And Fiorentina and Roma draw. And I think that's something like 12 of 16 matches drawn by Roma. 12 of their last 16. That's, that's not really what you want. I mean, it's better than losing, but it's not as good as winning. I'm, I'm dispensing some wisdom here on Soccer Morning. Drawing is better than losing, but not as good as winning, if you didn't know that. Uh, we mentioned the Gold Cup groups yesterday. I just wanted to sort of review that, and especially in light of the fact 
that uh, Jurgen Klinsmann has said, oh, that's no big deal. That Gold Club group that the United States has drawn into, Panama, Honduras, these are not, th- this is not the end of the world for the United States. Okay. Panama, Haiti, Honduras, more than likely. Honduras or French Guiana. I'm not even sure what the, uh, is that a, is that a playoff? So one of those uh, Central Americano things. Somebody explain to me why Honduras is not already in the tournament. They have Group B, Costa Rica, El Salvador, Canada, and Jamaica. And Group C, Mexico, Guatemala, Trinidad and Tobago, and Cuba. Mexico with uh, with the easiest group of the three big uh, big sides in this tournament, obviously. The United States, again, Jurgen Klinsmann uh, has a far-reaching, had a far-reaching chat with a bunch of people uh, down in Philadelphia when this draw was done. Brian Shreda has a a very good roundup over at American Soccer Now, which you should read. He touches on fitness, continues to harp on that, touches on MLS, touches on uh, data, being the use of data. Lots of long quotes that I can't get into this morning, but definitely worth the read. We can continue to talk about Jurgen Klinsmann. He's also in the news for saying that Gideon's LLM is ready for the senior team. Now, some of this is about getting Del- Gideon's LLM cap tied so that it's done and over with and we don't have to worry about that thing now we're waiting on fifa to make a decision about la- allowing getting zlm to uh um to get through the the five-year period with a waiver uh the usual usual rule requires five years of residency in order to be given uh the right to play for a country this is to limit you know hired guns so to speak an issue has cropped up a couple of middle eastern countries took advantage of, of that over the last few years. But it, look, it's a good rule in general, but it shouldn't apply to Gideon's LLM. Speaking of CONCACAF, Jeffrey Webb, the uh, the president of CONCACAF, has come out and said that Russia can't have the World Cup, quote-unquote, with the current racism that exists in that country. Definitely, Russia poses a huge challenge for FIFA and the World Cup from a racism standpoint. Now, Webb is not only pre- uh, president of uh, CONCACAF, head of CONCACAF and a FIFA vice president. He is also the head of the Anti-Racism and Discrimination Task Force at FIFA. So what can you do about this? I'm not sure. Hopefully Jeffrey Webb has some sort of plan in place. From our task force standpoint, we now have a dedicated staff who works with us on racism, and they're working very closely with Russia to implement and educate education, execute education programs. It's a huge opportunity to influence some change, and we better influence some change over the next three years. We have to. We can't have a World Cup there under the the current conditions. Now, my issue with this is, what's going to change in three years fundamentally? Can you stamp out racism at stadiums in three years? You could probably make some headway in that in that regard. You're not going to make headway culturally in Russia in three years. And I, I don't really blame Jeffrey Webb for that. It's not his responsibility. It's not FIFA's responsibility. Those cultural elements, which are the root cause of the racism that pops up then in stadiums and during soccer matches, is something that it's much bigger and much grander. I I wonder what uh, what good FIFA can really do. And I hope this isn't just dressed up in three years when we get to Russia 2018. They say, oh, we, we did a bunch of stuff. We took care of the problem. And I hope there's no incidents. Real Madrid president Florentino Perez has blamed negative reporting for Real Madrid's recent woes. And the media has rejected these claims. The two main papers, sport papers in Madrid, Mar- uh, Marca and AS, have have uh, declined to accept responsibility 
for the way that Real Madrid is playing. And this is uh, this is classic misdirection by Florentino Perez. And I'm not really having any of it. The United States U-17 team plays Jamaica on Sunday with their World Cup berth on the line. Remember, they previously lost to Jamaica, which puts them in this game. Now, there was some seeding things, moving pieces around. Uh, that require that uh, uh, that requires the United States to play FIFA, or sorry, to play Jamaica again for a chance to to make it to the FIFA U17 World Cup in Chile. I don't really understand all of those tiebreakers and the rules, but the bottom line is Richie Williams' team needs to get it done if they're going to play in a World Cup. Now I saw a very good statement on Twitter yesterday from I think it was Stephen Sandor up in Canada because their U17s are in this tournament as well, att- attempting to make the World Cup. I believe they came up short. So this doesn't necessarily directly apply to the U.S., but with Sunday looming, I think it's to rem- it's important to remember that these are kids. These are not full professionals. They're not making money playing this game. If they do not make this World Cup, let's be careful about rip, uh, 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 raking them across the coals or calling choke job. Now, we would love the program to get better. Absolutely. And they should make the World Cup if the United States is making progress. And I put this squarely on the, on the shoulders of Jurgen Klinsmann, Richie Williams, and the staff. But the players are 16-year-old kids, 17-year-old kids. Should definitely cut them a break. Let's uh, Speaking of break, let's take a break. When we come back, Dave Martinez, Empire Soccer. NYCFC opens up their home schedule on Sunday in front of what it should be a massive crowd on Terrible Turf at Yankee Stadium. We'll talk about that. Don't go anywhere. Soccer Morning, brought to you by World Soccer Talk. Hey there, it's Jason Davis, and if you're like me and love playing fantasy soccer games, I want to let you know about a fantastic new game called Draft11.com. This is not your usual fantasy soccer game. Draft11.com is different for two major reasons. First, it's a daily fantasy soccer game, and second, it gives you an opportunity to win cash. So instead of playing an entire season and competing against, say, the 3 million people who play fantasy Premier League and winning nada, you can play Draft11.com over one match day against up to 10 people. And if your team wins, you win. Cash, not points. So go ahead and support our new sponsor that's helping bring Soccer Morning to you every single day. Head over to Draft11.com, sign up for a free account, and take a shot at trying to win some cold, hard cash. Thanks. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we go, back on Soccer Morning, joined now on the telephone by Dave Martinez of EmpireOfSoccer.com, Empire of Soccer on Twitter. You might have been able to hear him over the music uh, intro there. I thought he might have been jamming, but no, I'm pretty sure he was clearing his throat. Dave's a little under the weather. We appreciate you coming on, Dave. It's all right. You're gonna you're gonna hear a the Barry White version of Dave Martinez who's really struggle with allergies. Excellent, so. <laughs> excellent. Uh, the, <laughs> I'm the, happy the, to be on though. The, happy to be the, on. the Latin Barry White. I think that's a thing. I think that's a niche market you could corner, Dave. <laughs> uh, let's uh, let's talk New York City Football Club, Dave. They uh, went down to Orlando. They got a draw. I don't like using the word deserved in soccer. I think you deserve what you make. 
Uh, they got a draw. Mixed Discord scored a very excellent goal. They made, they did not have the run of play though. And they open up the season, the home uh, schedule this weekend against New England. Now, New England's limping in. They've got a bunch of injury absences. That's going to make the task a little bit easier on Jason Christ's team. But all the talk leading up to this game, Dave, has not been about New England or about New York City FC's uh, 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 formation and the uh, how Christ is going to It's been about turf. Give me everything you know about turf wars. Oh, boy. And I think New York City is going to be all about turf wars this year, but specifically talking about Yankee Stadium. Uh, I think that Claudio Reyna put it best when we had our media day just a couple of days ago. He had said uh, when asked about, I, I asked him about the practice facility and purchase. We really haven't heard much about that. And currently uh, they are training on another ground within purchase because that ground is not ready because of all the, the hell that we went through with winter here in, uh, in the New York City area. Uh, so even the training facility is not ready. And uh, he tells me, you know, at this point, We've come to realize that nothing's going to come easy for NYCFC, so we're always expecting the worst. And and that's what's happening with Yankee Stadium. As you saw, whether it was a helicopter or a drone, uh, the New York Daily News somehow made it through the security, the tight security uh, that NYCFC really put up there at at Yankee Stadium and uh, got some exclusive pictures, uh, took, uh, took photos of the grounds, and they just don't look... Like they're quite ready for soccer. Uh, mm. No surprise, of course, since again, it's been a very tough winter. And to, to I mean, it's hard enough to convert a baseball field to begin with, but to have it ready for baseball after the winter we've had, uh, for soccer after the winter we've had, is, is quite difficult. So yes, I mean, there, there's definitely a concern when it comes to uh, to the turf at Yankee Stadium. Though Yankee officials are supremely confident that their top-notch ground crew will yeah. be able to, to handle it out and have it ready. I am sure that the Yankees have the best grounds crew money can buy. I have no doubt about that. I'm sure they'll do okay. everything that they can. And Randy Levine has come out and said everything's going to be fine, but he can't keep his players, and I'm when I say his players, I mean Yankees players, from complaining to the press about what might happen to their field with NYCFC sharing that venue. And Dave, I don't think it's it's wrong for us, even though this is a soccer show and we're soccer guys. I don't think it's wrong for us to say what's very clear that the that NYCFC are secondary tenants, that they're the little brother in this situation, sure. that the Yankees are going to dominate the headlines. They this story made the back pages because it's the Yankees, not because it's NYCFC. And we saw that when Mark Teixeira is name checked on the Daily News back page. But it's NYCFC coach, not Jason Christ, because nobody knows who he is yet. Exactly. Right. And that's, uh, that's a storyline we're going to be dealing with all season long. Uh, it's interesting. I've had the opportunity this week to speak to a lot of people in and around the Yankee organization and around the uh, New York City FC organization. And it's interesting, as you said, uh, when you put things into perspective, if NYC, people like to talk about in our circle, and I always come on the show and I talk about the soccer bubble. We're all living in the soccer bubble. You know, we, we live, we breathe it. Uh, we look at the achievements of Major League Soccer, of U.S. soccer, and they're huge, but comparable to other sports, it's very fair to say that some numbers are minuscule, whether you're talking about ratings, attendance, things of that nature. Uh, in this instance, what I'm talking about is investment. You know, you have New York City FC, uh, excuse me, the New York Yankees and Manchester City coming together. Uh, paying $100 million to start up a franchise. But 
what is a hundred million dollars if it interferes with the multi-billion dollar business that is the New York Yankees? When you push comes you know to what that job, is, Dave? That's 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 half a first baseman. <laughs> that's what that is. <laughs> exactly. Thank you very much. It's, it's half a first baseman. It's probably half a, a, a reserve shortstop. You don't know. I mean, <laughs> this is this is a big business. Major League Baseball is a huge business. The Yankees are a huge business in and of themselves. They have a legal department within the Yankee organization which is incredibly, I mean, incredibly protective of not just their intellectual property, but the game, the, the players on the field. And if anything interferes with that, NYCFC is going to be treated as a tenant, and that's what's going to happen. I've come on this show plenty of times in the past, and I've told you in the past, uh, I don't know why it was news this week when I tweeted it, but I've told you in the past, uh, the New York Times has said that there's a lease for two, three years, at Yankee Stadium, and all I keep on hearing is that it's a rollover lease. It's it's year to year, mm-hmm. and the Yankees will take a look at what soccer is like uh-huh. uh, and how it impacts the the play of uh, the baseball team, and decide whether or not this is a long term relationship mm-hmm. they can have at Yankee Stadium. NYCFC will go on, but if they get in the way of the Yankee monster there's going to be problems. Absolutely, and, and we may wake up in a couple of years, and, and NYCFC may be playing. I don't know it. Uh... Uh, at MetLife, or uh, you know, I don't even know what other options there would be. Maybe they can share short with the Cosmos, Dave. Um, oh I, I, you know, obviously that's the worst case scenario for NYCFC. I had a caller on this show yesterday. Uh, I think it was Washington, if I'm not mistaken. He's going to the game on Sunday. He's very excited. Season ticket holder. Um, he's a, he, he's glad that there's a, a team in the city uh, for MLS. And he said that from a selfish perspective, he's actually okay with all of this drama and he's okay with NYCFC getting some pressure from the Yankees and the players because it may stoke some fires, uh, in terms of getting out of that building, getting their own place. Now they can only move as fast as the legislative process. The mayor's office will let them move, but at the same time, they could, they could become complacent in a perfect world where Yankee stadium is a, is a great venue or the, as great as it can be. Well, that's rather short-sighted because you have to think of the people that are in charge of this team. They're, I mean, there are no novices in the sport. Uh, Jason Christ, uh, Claudio Arena, they're, they're pushing the sporting side of this. They're, they're pushing the organization forward. And I doubt, no matter what they say publicly, I doubt that they look at Yankee Stadium as, as a comfortable situation in any way. Even if the field is pristine on any playing day, there's mm-hmm. always going to be the issue lingering of being, you know, uh, nobody wants to be a tenant in their own stadium. Right. Uh, the Cosmos yeah. suffer with it enough. NYCFC are going to go through it themselves. Major League Soccer has has had to, uh, I mean, delay their their schedule release this year because of negotiations with the Yankees and Major League Baseball about how they're going to schedule games. This is not a comfortable situation. They're constantly reminded <laughs> they need to move and get a new stadium. What has happened over the last couple of years is that this NY2 experiment, which has now become NYCFC. It, the moving parts have been moving quite quickly. When you yeah. first talked about this team, there was supposed to be property in the Flushing Meadow Park. That didn't come to fruition. As the team continued to grow, there was supposed to be a purchase of land just south of Yankee Stadium. That didn't happen. That went to the wayside. You have an administration, uh, de Blasio, who's a new mayor, who really isn't looking at building anything outside of, you know, affordable housing, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. That is more his wheelhouse, uh, not so much entertainment, business, and sporting events. Uh, so it makes it even more difficult to secure the proper land. NYCFC is looking. There's a fire lit there, but 
just because you're looking, just because you're hunting for yeah. the uh, for the white whale, doesn't necessarily mean you're going to find it. All right, let's let's pretend that all of this stuff is hunky dory and and happy, and and nobody's upset about field conditions and uh, and everything's grand. Sunday they open up the home schedule, first ever home game. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, the entire stadium has been uh, has been made available. I don't know if that means they're going to sell it out, but certainly they've sold enough tickets to to think that they can get more people in that building than they originally planned. How big is it of a deal is this going to be, Dave? Well, speaking to uh, to NYCFC officials uh, again at media day, they're thinking as of right now it's it's roughly thirty five thousand that they uh, that they have in attendance. They broke the fifteen thousand mark for season ticket holders, which is a tremendous base. But do I think the Yankee Stadium can be sold out? I don't think so. Yeah, I, I know that they're making every effort to bring in as many eyes, as many new eyes as possible. Uh, I've heard from several people that have uh, children in, in youth soccer camps and. Uh, and different leagues throughout the area that NYC official NYCFC officials have come down and uh, and started giving away tickets as well oh. uh, comps just just to have you know kids out there and experience sure. the the game themselves. So yeah, I got no uh, I got no problem with they can't fill the stadium. But, yeah, I I, you know, I got no problem I got no problem with papering. The, I'm sorry, Dave. I don't got no problem with papering the room a little bit. I know that Orlando may have done something similar. And look, they had a fantastic sure. atmosphere. They got the 60, 62,000 that they got into that building. And NYCFC, as you said, they're not going to sell out Yankee Stadium, which I think is capacity 50 or 55, somewhere in that range. Uh, but 35,000 is absolutely nothing to sneeze at. And every other team in this league outside of Seattle and Orlando, obviously, would kill to have opening weekend be that big. And let's, I mean, look at the impact that this has had. I think that you got to give them their due this the past week, two weeks, NYCFC have been able to garner attention in the area. They've They've managed to to secure newspaper space. Uh, there's more stories going around today. There's a 16-page insert in the New York Daily News specifically focused on NYCFC paid advertising. Whatever, who cares? Yeah. It's in there, yeah. and uh, and it's it's there for the exposure of the match. So to that end, it's already a winner. Carrying it through throughout the rest of the season is going to be the measure of success. Sure. Uh, look, this I think this winter was a mess for NYCFC. They had New York to themselves. The Giants stunk. The Jets stunk. The Islanders were okay. The Rangers were okay. But nobody cares about hockey other than niche fans. And I'm a hockey fan, so I could say that here in uh, in New York City. The Nets, the Knicks. Look, there really was no other game in town. and It was a perfect opportunity for NYCFC to fill that gap, but they didn't. There was just too much flux, too many things going around, going on. Now that the game is approaching, in the last couple of weeks, we've seen the momentum grow. Again, 35,000, as you said, nothing to sneeze at. And an absolutely, uh, really an inspiring base for Major League Soccer to do over this New York market, to, to get it right this time around. But let's see how Yankee Stadium holds up this weekend, because yeah. first impressions are going to be incredibly important, as they always are in this town. And NYCFC has put the right foot forward, starting with that pitch. Okay, Dave, um, you know, this isn't usually what we talk about when we get you on, on the air, uh, but I know that... Uh, your analytical mind is as good as anybody's. When you look at, at this team and, and what they have to do against New England to get three points at home, what do you see? I mean, got to get service to David Villa first and foremost, but where, where else are the, the issues for NYCFC? I think the club is too narrow. It's, they're too narrow and too predictable. That's what you saw in Orlando. There's nobody really on, uh, on the flanks that can break through and stretch a defense. And that, to me, is, is the most alarming part of this scenario. I mean, look, this this summer, you're going to have Frank Lampard in town. 
Uh, and I, I don't know if you've ever seen Frank Lampard play, but I wouldn't necessarily call him a speed demon. No. Uh, and I think that's what they need. I think this midfield needs somebody uh, that's going to open up play. If they're going to use mixed disc in that scenario, in that situation, I guess that's okay. But at this point, I find the club to be very predictable. Now, mm. having said that, you have to commend them for their performance on defense. I mean, if, if you saw that starting 11 and you're looking at Jason Hernandez and Chris Winger as your, as your starting center backs, you're thinking to yourself, oh my goodness, what then? Price has lost the plot. Right. What exactly is happening here? Where is, where is Andres Mendoza? Where is George John, who's still injured and recovering and what have you? Is this going to be enough? Well, they prove that defensively uh, they're quite stout. Uh, they're able uh, to to keep their formation. They're very uh, they're very uh, concentrated on defense, very focused, and that's going to help them. It's the attack I'm more worried about because, as as you saw, Jason, David Villa was on an island by himself, and that was mostly because there was no width. Everything was down the yeah. middle. Everything was predictable, and you can't count on that perfect pass down the middle of the pitch to open up a match. It's just not going to happen. Wait, you need somebody out on the wings to yeah. those defenders. Well, Kyrie Shelton changed that game a little bit for them. That that helped a bit. And, and obviously, yeah. you, but you don't want Dave, you don't want David Villa having to, to drift out wide to pick up the ball. That's not his game. He's not Kaká, for, for example, on the other side. He's not He's not even Thierry Henry uh, to, to yeah. flip it over to the Red Bull. So you need somebody who can provide that with. That's going to be interesting to see. Again, New England comes in a little bit limping. Uh, Teal Bunbury injured. Obviously, Jermaine Jones coming back. Uh, whether or not Lee Wynn is available will be a question. But I got a couple minutes here with you, and I would be remiss if we didn't talk about the New York Cosmos out there on the island. They've got a plan to go down to Cuba to be the first team in 37 years, I think, first professional American sports franchise to play a game. They're going to play a friendly against the Cuban national team in Havana. That's a big deal because of the... Um, you know, the, uh, embargo being lifted, Dave. Um, otherwise, I mean, well, first speak to the, to the plan to go down there and, and what kind of, uh, what kind of role this has in the wider cosmos international, uh, profile plan. Well, we've spoken about this again on the show in the past. The cosmos are, are trying to do something unique, which is concentrate on global games, uh, getting their name out there in order to grow the game domestically. Uh, you listen to that, and it kind of strikes you. How does that happen necessarily? Well, uh, you start off with a player of the name and qualities of, uh, of a Raul. Raul, by himself, has opened several doors for this club. Uh, Hong Kong, that Hong Kong friendly that they had earlier this winter, uh, was a rousing success. You had almost 20,000 fans uh, in attendance watching, being there to watch the Cosmos and Raul uh, perform. And it was... Uh, it was it's a kind of treatment that a premiership club would, would normally get in those kind of situations. And by the end of it, the Cosmos go home $200,000 richer. I mean, that was their prize pot for participating in the tournament, which was really just a one match throw off. But regardless, those are the kind of exhibition matches that made the Cosmos such an entertaining team in the past. And what the club is trying to do now is create those kind of, those kind of moments, those uh, transcendent moments, those those headline-making moments. And if you want to make headlines, especially in today's climate, uh, what better way than to go to Cuba? I mean, free advertising all over the place. They've been everywhere. Time Magazine, each one of the, of the daily newspapers here in New York, uh, they've made headlines throughout the world just for having that kind of impact, to be able to open up this country after so many years and be the first professional uh, sports team to play in Cuba, it's huge. It's yeah. history making. It, it, uh, my measure for this is going to be at the gate. You know, are all of these global efforts 
going to sell season tickets? Will right. Raul be enough right. to drag people out to Hofstra University? That's the true measuring stick. Yeah. But you have to commend them for their ambition. This one, I, I, I would say, I would say that if you're judging them strictly on being an American soccer club in the same mold as all of these MLS teams and other NASL teams, they they may take some hits because they are ranging outside of. Uh, what is the typical plan? But but on uh, on the other hand, they are the Cosmos. They have a legacy. They have a name that they should be leveraging, and they're doing that. It, it's fascinating to watch. I'm I'm not sure where to to put them yet, Dave. And before I let you go, very very quickly here, and there's some subtext that I can't mention. Are you aware of any developments at all on the Cosmos Stadium front? Uh, at the moment, there there are certain things uh, in motion. Uh, okay. At the moment, though, it, it's it's the same story. It's been for months. Uh, the Empire State Development Corp has not uh, approved or or rejected the idea of uh, of rewarding the land at Belmont to the New York Cosmos. Okay. Uh, there's been plenty of rumblings. I, I know that several Cosmos officials and fans thought that the State of the State address this January, uh, perhaps the governor would have given his okay at that point. But uh, as of right now, things stand status quo. Unless something drastically changes this morning, uh, things are at a status quo. The cosmos aren't necessarily moving anywhere. And if you ask some people, uh, which, I, again, I cannot verify, but if it's the rumor that you're talking about, uh, some folks seem to believe that Major League Soccer may be stepping in themselves mm-hmm. to uh, yeah. uh, to the, lobby against such a move. But uh, as of right now, that's unproven. Uh, I'm investigating it. I haven't sure. heard anything uh, to verify it just yet. But okay. I'm on that as well. Yeah, it is, it is, it is strictly rumor at this point from our perspective. That doesn't mean that it is not happening. We're just not able to confirm that. Certainly Dave is on top of it over at Empire of Soccer. Should be following him at Empire of Soccer on Twitter as well. If there is any updates on that front, I'm sure he'll, he'll have them shortly. Um, I know in the cosmos, the, 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 the little Cosmos bubble, this has been a big story, and it has not yet been addressed by us for, for various reasons, but most of them doing with journalistic integrity, Dave, and, and we don't want to cast any stones. So he's looking out for that. You should be looking out for his stuff over there. Dave, thanks for your time, man. I appreciate it. Get well. I appreciate it, and uh, hopefully next time I, I won't sound like an R&B singer. <laughs> there you go. I don't know why that would be an improvement, Dave. Soccer Morning brought to you by World Soccer Talk. When we come back, Jeff Kasu from Equalizer Soccer and NBC Sports will join us. We're going to review the Alcarve Cup for the U.S. women. What does it mean for their chances at the World Cup this summer? Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Hey there, it's Jason Davis, and if you're like me and love playing fantasy soccer games, I want to let you know about a fantastic new game called Draft11.com. This is not your usual fantasy soccer game. Draft11.com is different for two major reasons. First, it's a daily fantasy soccer game, and second, it gives you an opportunity to win cash. So instead of playing an entire season and competing against, say, the 3 million people who play fantasy Premier League and winning nada... You can play Draft11.com over one match day against up to 10 people. And if your team wins, you win. Cash, not points. So go ahead and support our new sponsor that's helping bring Soccer Morning to you every single day. Head over to Draft11.com, sign up for a free account, and take a shot at trying to win some cold, hard cash. Thanks.
Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we go, back on Soccer Morning. On the phone line with me now from Equalizer Soccer and NBC is our friend Jeff Kasu. Got something good to talk about with Jeff, and that's the U.S. women lifting the Algarve Cup with their 2 nothing win over France. Uh, Jeff, how are you, sir? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Uh, first and foremost, uh, when it comes to this, this this win against France, remember they just lost to France by the, the identical scoreline last month. Um, is it, it was, uh, forget about the revenge angle, Jeff. I mean, ultimately all of these teams are trying to prepare for a world cup this summer. Does it indicate right. that maybe some of the problems that were being identified under Jill Ellis can be fixed before we get to Canada? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a little bit of that. I think that the biggest thing is, um, and I, you know, I know that a few others have mentioned this, that, you know, in a tournament setting, um, the U S is built for, games like this. I mean, it's four games in eight days. Um, they have a deep squad that, that maybe is deeper than um, really anybody else, so they, they can rotate in. Um, I mean, you look at who stood out in that final and maybe even the tournament that you wouldn't expect coming into it, Julie Johnston, who um, prior to the tournament had, had barely even played. She had one start. Um, so, so the you know, they're deep. I think that factored in there. And um, I think this win for the U.S., winning the Algarve Cup more than anything, is a, a huge confidence boost. I mean, they sort of uniquely thrive off being doubted um, more than any other team in the world, and they love to see some of the headlines that uh, they got in abundance over the past few months as they dropped results and, and looked uninspiring in, in matches against France, England, Brazil. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think they saw all this, and for them, I mean, forget the vindication of, of beating France, you know, a month later, I think for them, it's the the idea that, you know, there's a little bit of a, a proving wrong here um, to all the doubters. And this is their biggest, France was their biggest game going into this World Cup. The, the rest that remain are just kind of, um, you know, second tier teams. So this is the biggest test um, that they'll feel they passed, and that'll be a confidence boost heading into June. Uh, you, you mentioned that the rest of these teams are second-tier teams. They obviously had a goalless draw with Iceland that created a, a little bit of buzz because of some comments by the Iceland head coach and then Ellis shooting back a little bit. That was, that seemed, was that the, the low, po- I mean, well, not the lowest point in the tournament necessarily, but it certainly wasn't a good, a, a good moment. Was there, were there lessons learned there? Could you see direct lessons being learned by Ellis? Or are we just talking about someone who's throwing some stuff out there, relying on that depth and, and maybe getting by on, on, you know, the talent level, maybe not superior to France, but certainly good enough to beat France on their best day. Yeah, and, and I mean, on that note, too, France missing uh, a few very key starters, center-backs, uh, Luis and Asib, uh as well. So, I mean, I think that there is a reliance. I think that's a good word. But um, to her credit, I mean, Jill Ellis is probably uh, the most criticized coach uh, probably in the world right now just because, I mean, and I think she knows that and knew that coming into this job. But, um, you know, regardless of the fact that there were some starters missing for France, uh and, you know, the Kristen Presco in particular was clearly a, a moment of individual brilliance. I think that you have to give some credit to Jill Ellis for uh, a month later. I mean, this is this is what coaching is about, right? I mean, a month later, same opponent, huge game. Um, are you going to look the same or are you going to make the necessary adjustments? And, you know, regardless of personnel that was out there, um, the U.S. made the adjustments. Uh, they were able to clog the midfield. You saw Carly Lloyd 
um, which is she's still in that wide position, which I, I don't personally agree with, but she was able to pinch in um, enough to make it almost a three-woman midfield that clogged that midfield for France, which they, they absolutely owned on that first game. So um, there were adjustments there that you can say, okay, um, yes, it's personnel, but Ellis looked, saw the adjustments that need to be made and um, ultimately got a result there, which I think is encouraging for her, the team, and, and um, somewhat the outlook for a tournament setting come Canada. Well, in that, in that vein, is this is this more encouraging because of the clean sheet? And obviously, you know, Hope Solo's part of that, but is it more encouraging for the clean sheet or for, you know, get a set-piece goal from Julie Johnston? That's her first ever. That's great. And then Kristen Press with just, as you said, a moment of individual brilliance. Uh, the afterburners she's got are, are, are impressive. But neither one of those goals in a vacuum are, are the sort of thing that really show you that, that as a team – they are going to be dominant with the ball at their feet. No, and I don't think they are. I mean, look, they'll have stretches of moments. Um, I think that uh, we can say maybe against lesser opponents, but with the group draw and, you know, the possibly pending uh, knockout round, um, I don't know that there really will be that case um, come Canada. But uh, I don't I don't see them dominating a game in possession, as you said. I don't see them uh, outplaying at least technically and possession-wise, a team like a France or um, some of these other top teams. I mean, we saw this against Brazil as well in the past month. But they they have the ability. I think that's the thing that we have to, you know, certainly me and, and others, I mean, we have to make clear to, to maybe casual fans um, who are listening is that this is absolutely still a team that can win the World Cup. This is We're talking about a seven-game stretch and, you know, one of maybe four real contenders. But... Um, looking at sort of the trends against France, against Brazil, um, you know, just looking at what Germany is, you have to look and say, of the top four, maybe this might be team number four. But look, set pieces, which we saw not only with that Johnston goal, but throughout the tournament, even against uh, against England when, when Alex Morgan scored on another Lauren Holiday free kick. Um, set pieces can change games, and I think Lauren Holiday has been extremely good at those, uh, whether on corner kicks or free kicks, and, um, you know, Carly Lloyd, uh, you saw it from Kristen Press in the final, there are game-changing players who can have those moments, and there are enough of them that those moments can come frequently enough that the U.S. can still find itself in a final come July. All right, uh, uh, forgive my, uh, you know, forget this question, because it's certainly uh, the type of thing that would come from a casual fan who's not necessarily watching this team week in and week out, Jeff, and, and I think that's most of the people who are going to be partaking of the, the tournament this summer, but what's Abby Wambach's role in this team? Obviously, they get a win, a championship with France without Abby, Abby Wambach in the starting lineup. Is she is she a a, a strategic uh, deployment now? Is she is she going to be playing? Obviously, in a short tournament with the compressed schedule, she can't go at, out there every time out. But how much does this team still rely on her, and how much can they get away with with finding some depth? And obviously, look, there's there's talented goal scorers. I'm not saying there's not, but she's been such a key figure for them. Yeah, I mean, I think it's trending that way that, that you mentioned of her sort of maybe coming off the bench, maybe being a specific sort of role. Um, you know, you can't rule out her starting because I think that there's just um, – she brings something different, and I know that it's so cliche and, and some people are so sick of hearing that, but there's only one of her. And um, I think probably best utilized of what she is of um, – Great in front of goal, obviously great in the air. Uh, it lends itself to late in matches if the U.S. is trailing 
Um, I, I even I think Tony DeChico mentioned it on the broadcast uh, on, on Wednesday that even defensively, I mean, if you're looking like you know U.S. holding on to a one-nil lead and, and defensively sort of getting bombarded, that she's in there for set pieces for you know defensively in the air, uh, which is a little bit of a stretch, I think, in terms of why you would put her in a match with only three subs. But um, I think that she is trending towards probably that 70th minute sub mm. where uh, U.S. needs a goal. Uh, but, the, you know, the U.S. has a bunch of those, too. So you have to keep in mind that do you go with Abby in the air or do you go with someone like Sidney LaRue uh, who can turn and burn and, and take on a tired defense at really any in the world? So for, for Wambach, I think the most important thing that you'll hear from her and that you'll hear from other players is that her role uh, as a leader and, and sort of even um, off the field, in a sense, um, in a leadership role, is huge, um, and that's not to, to you know downgrade what she's doing on the field, but I think she's probably trending towards that that second half sub. But mm. um, yeah, I mean, don't be surprised if she starts. I know that sounds wishy washy, <laughs> but I think it's still sort of TBD. Yeah, sure, I, I, understandable, and, and maybe that's what Ellis needs, still needs to figure out here. But it, it, we've seen, you know, certainly uh, you could make the argument that a player like like Abby Wambach up top, even in a game where you're maybe. Uh, holding on to a lead and don't need a goal can can be a release valve, a pressure release valve, and uh, certainly uh, the way you know a, a target for it, and she can be that um, can help a team. Let's let's move on briefly here um, and, and just look ahead. I mean, you mentioned the four favorites: Brazil, Germany, France, maybe the United States as the number four spot. Uh, is is that is that how you would have them right now? I mean, look, they whether they beat France, a, a full strength France or not. Certainly they can go toe-to-toe with them. Germany may be best team in the world for right now, despite uh, not winning this this cup. Uh, where is Brazil, and how much is Brazil still relying on individual brilliance rather than team play? Yeah, I mean, I think perhaps more than ever. I mean, you listen to Marta talk, and she says flat out, this is a very young team, a very different team, and she sort of, um, she seems to recognize that finally what we've all known for probably the better part of a decade is that Brazil's a real wild card. They have the talent. Um, you know, they could have 10 average Joes and Marta, and uh, they're still probably going to be a contender just by, you know, her alone and, and her sort of once-in-a-lifetime skill and, and brilliance. So um, I think that Brazil is sort of that fifth wild card. I think that France, despite this result, uh, like I said, um, a few players missing, a few key players missing, I think France right now still is, on the best form in the world. Germany, a close number two. Um, the United States, probably in that 3-4 spot. And and Japan, all of a sudden, a bit of a wild card, finishing yeah. ninth in the Algarve Cup. Uh, a few concerns there, but I think there's still, that's probably your four. And then Brazil, okay. in that fifth spot of okay. a wild card. Um, you just don't know what they're going to bring. You know, One day they're beating the United States, and the other day maybe they're struggling against China. So yeah. um, it, it's Brazil kind of you know, continues to be who we know they are, um, which has not changed over several World Cup cycles, and, and they just happen to be a bit younger this time. And then, you know, again, I think probably that sixth and really um, final maybe contender spot of Sweden, who finished, um, you know, pretty strongly in the Algarve Cup, but continues to sort of have inconsistent results. Mm. So I think those are probably your six. Um, you know, again, I think France probably the best team in the world right now, okay. but they're probably staring down a Germany quarterfinal by the ridiculous way that this, this mm-hmm. World Cup's going to shake out. So 
one of the top two teams in the world will probably be out in the quarterfinals. Okay, I was going to ask you about Japan. I'm glad you mentioned them. Let me just, uh, before we move on to uh, an NASL, uh, NWSL question, excuse me, um, Canada, where do the hosts sit right now in, in your in your mind and, and legitimately how deep do you think that they can go? I think that a semifinal is probably uh, realistic in terms of the, the deepest they can go. Um, there's a certain, you know, depending on whether they finish second or first or second in that group, and, and certainly depending on who finishes where um, in the groups that they would line up with, uh, they have the potential for a pretty easy round of 16 game, um, and that puts them into the quarterfinal where uh, I would almost say similarly to the U.S., they're a team that can very much win these one-off games. Um, they're a pretty physical team. Christine Sinclair, um, you know, look, she's she's on fire to start 2015, and, and she, um, I think herself to some extent admitted that in 2013, 2014, she was a bit off her game in league play with Canada. So for her to be informed, third, third all-time leading goal scorer in the world in history, um, for her to be informed at just the right time here is something that could really tip the scales from Canada being maybe out in the quarterfinals or, or if they get a tough round of 16 game to maybe making a semifinal. I know that there's a lot of big time dreams of, of winning a world cup on home soil, but you know, between those top four that we mentioned and Canada losing the Cyprus cup final to England, which is outside of that top six and, and sort of an in-between team. I, I can't see Canada making a final. I know that's the dream situation for them, but um, semifinal is probably the best and, and might be a stretch even to be honest. Talking to Jeff Kasu from Equalizer Soccer. Uh, it's a little roundup on the the international women's game. Obviously, the U.S. women lifting the Algarve Cup with a win over France. Um, but uh, let's go to the let's go to the league, the domestic league, Jeff. And and I know there's some some talk about expansion and Rail Salt Lake maybe in the mix and some good things happening on that front. But one of the negative things happening right now and something that I've I've seen that the league intends to address. And our friend uh, Christopher Dwyer on Twitter has asked specifically about this is a rash of early retirements. Uh, for women players uh, who are in the NWSL, what accounts for this? I mean, obviously, we we know that these women aren't not, aren't making a ton of money playing in this league, and that can be mm. a, a significant impediment to keeping a career going. But is that all it is? It is, is it a matter of injuries. What's the situation? I don't think it all it's all it is, but I think it's it's absolutely the number one factor. You know, I think casual fans or maybe fans that are big on the men's side, big on MLS, and maybe getting into the women's game, I would say think of early days MLS. You know, what were these players? They were making something ridiculously low that you couldn't even say is livable, especially if you were in like an L.A. market or, you know, one of these bigger markets. And um, the baseline salary, sorry, the the low salary, the low end of the salary here in NWSL is about $6,000 for, you know, you're talking six-plus months when you factor in preseason and everything. So, um, even with, you know, host families covering that, um, you know, we've all been at a point where we, maybe we've said, what am I doing with myself? And when you're, you know, you're a 25 year old, maybe even older, some of these players who are still sort of on the bottom end of rosters that, and you're making six or $10,000 to, to do this, yeah. um, as much as you love it, that you have to address it. And you see some of these retirements, um, a few different breakers players. I mean, they directly mentioned, look, um, I made, I was offered a job in the, the corporate world that, you know, whatever it is, we can assume something much more livable. Yeah. Um, and they just decided to take it. So I think it is a huge thing. And I think it's, um, you know, as this league grows, this is why this league is considered healthier than the other two. 
we have to make that clear that, you know, players aren't making ridiculous salaries in comparison to what's being brought in at the gate. But as this league grows, I think it's probably the number one thing to, to factor in because there, there are young players out there who are retiring because they, they simply can't make any money. I mean, some of these players, this year you're going to see players that are amateurs playing for free um, that are on these rosters while players are away at the World Cup, mm. and they're making they're making nothing. But um, that's how it's you know that's how they're filling these gaps in these early years. It's one of those things. Um, obviously, the the base of women's players, mostly American, but certainly from other countries as well, incredibly educated women who have degrees and they have options. Then Jeff, right. and so that cuts both ways. We've seen that in MLS clearly in the early years. Some guys uh, maybe hanging it up at twenty five instead of thirty five because. They had an option to go and, as you said, work in the corporate world. So it's something worth watch, uh, something worth watching here for the NWSL. Again, let me come back briefly to expansion before I let you go. What's the uh, what's the goal? Where are they at? And how many how many new teams are we looking at in the very near future? Well, I think that there's um, quietly probably a, an initiative to maybe get to an even number. They're at nine teams. Um, Ten is obviously a lot easier on the schedule. It's a lot easier on, on a bunch of things. There's, there's no sort of forced bye weeks. So um, th- there's a group in Atlanta that seems like they would be the most um, ambitious for 2016 for a year out from now. Um, where they actually stand in terms of um, how ready they would be for 2016 and how much you know how much they can get that going, still a little bit of a question mark. Um, they, they have announced that they would play at Silverbacks Park, which is, is certainly a good first step. But there's a lot to be done there, I think, still um, for that to really be, hey, Canada's a leading – or sorry, Canada. Uh, Atlanta is a leading candidate for 2016. But I think the probably the most promising one here, um, Real Salt Lake, um, Deloy Hansen continues to be, um, you know, at the forefront. of. I mean, he's been mentioning it. He hasn't been – he hasn't made any secret of the fact that this new Real Monarchs team in the USL – um, you know, once that stadium gets established, and obviously it needs dates, and, and part of expanding Real Salt Lake as as this club and brand would be bringing in a pro women's team. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's probably the most promising in terms of um, 2017 seems the earliest. So maybe that two three years out that Real Salt Lake gets involved, and then we'll see. You know what else um, in terms of MLS teams? I think you add RSL to Houston and Portland, which are MLS based. Maybe a couple of others get interested, and, and um, I think that's probably the direction in terms of really establishing a foothold um, of, of really good, secure markets. Jeff Kasuf from EqualizerSoccer.com. Go read his stuff over there, specifically on the U.S. women and their victory in the Algarve Cup, but also as we get closer to the start of the NWSL season, that stuff as well. Jeff, I appreciate the time. Always uh, fantastic insight. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon, man. Thank you. Always a pleasure. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll open up those phone lines, 347-756-6276. We'll take your tweets as well, at Soccer Morning. It's your time to shine on a Friday. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. 
with Jason Davis. Here we are. Phone lines are open. 347-756-6276. What is up, soccer world? What is on your mind today? Is anything happening at all? Is there anything people are talking about, thinking about, discussing? I don't I need I need you to bring me something because I, I feel like what are we talking about here? What's going on out there in the world ahead of a weekend with a lot of games stuff to watch? You know, watch some soccer this weekend. Maybe that's what you're thinking about. Maybe you're getting your plan together. Maybe you're lining up your what you're going to snack on. Maybe you're planning your brunch. People do Premier League and brunch. Yeah, maybe maybe you're. Maybe you're prioritizing the MLS games. Maybe you're looking at that schedule and thinking, hey, which is the big game of the weekend? What am I what am I gonna watch? Got Orlando and Houston tonight. Tonight, tonight. Owen Coyle versus Adrian Heath. British manager thing. That's that's fascinating. That's a good storyline, right? Is that the top storyline right now today in the world of American soccer? Could it be? Uh maybe not. Seattle hosting San Jose. Okay, that's good. New York City FC, obviously. New York City FC, 35,000 people, Yankee Stadium turf, Jason Christ's narrow formation, no X's left to make Mick, to put Mix on the back of an NYCFC jersey. They've run out of X's. That sounds like a tragedy. Can't get Mix. The man's wearing Mix. You want Mix, you can't get it. Because they, they have no more X's. If your name's Xavier, Xavier, and you want to put that on the back, you can't do that because they don't have any X's. What other names out there are, have X's? Right, Xavier's the only one I can think of right now. Who else has got an X in their name? Rex? If your name is Rex, you can't get a jersey with your name on it. 347-756-6276. Give me a call. Talk about soccer with me. It's fun, I promise. Hit me up on Twitter if you'd rather do it that way. Mike Thomas 19064. Let's give props to Unimos and how awesome it is having a game every Friday. Yes, let's do that. Props. What is Spanish for props? I need to learn that. That is fantastic. We used to have one time, one year, it was like four years, three, four years ago. You had Soccer Night in America or whatever that was called. It wasn't Soccer Night in America. It was something else. But it was a Friday game on Fox Soccer Channel. Maybe it was Soccer Night in America. But I remember this because this was the last year Fox had the MLS contract before it went over to NBC. And they were like, we're going to make a big to-do about this game. We're going to really throw some stuff at it. And again, it was Christopher Sullivan sitting at a desk with a quick goal in front of it. Then they went to the stadium. Good for them. I think that was an improvement. They put their halftime show in the building, but it still wasn't. They weren't really throwing stuff at it. This time around, is it, it, Fox is really giving it a go. I think we can all say that. Yes, but Friday, Unimas, game tonight, Houston Dynamo, Orlando City Soccer Club. Good stuff. If your name is Max, Robert's got a good point. Agent Rob, Agent E-Rob. If, you've got, um, if your name is Max, you're screwed. If you want an NYCFC jersey and your name is Max, I'm sorry. You are out of luck. I know some Maxes. I know some people who have named their kids. Jerry DuBois' kid's name is is Max. Yeah. Can't get his name. Can't get an NYCFC jersey with a kid name on it. 805, you're on the air. Hey, 
Hey, Jason, this is Derek from L.A. Hey, Derek, what's on your mind today? Well, you're mentioning NYCFC and the X uh, on the jerseys. I think they need to make Mark Teixeira the first baseman who came out <laughs> about the field. Make him his own jersey. Oh. Find an X and give it to him. Maybe oh, man. You can't, yeah, Mark Teixeira can't get himself a customized NYCFC jersey until they get that, that, that supply of X's re, re, uh, replenished. You got a good point. Well, you know, maybe man. that's why he's so upset. Yeah, maybe it is. Maybe it is a good point. You got anything else? Um, what's your opinion about Robbie Keane supposedly re-upping his deal with the Galaxy? Because as a Galaxy supporter, I was kind of convinced that after having such a good run, he was just going to kind of call it quits to go back home. If he wants to keep playing soccer, he likes LA, and he keeps scoring goals for you. I would be, I would throw a party for that. All there's, right, there's and I will do that. There's no sign that the man's slipping, is there? Oh, no, no. He's been fantastic, and it was kind of funny watching him last week because it seemed like for the first for 70 minutes, he was just kind of doing whatever he wanted, and then at the end of the well, game, he decided to play. And yeah, play. I, I do think that there's going to be some growing pains through the post-Land of Donovan era, and they're going to have to figure some things out, but I think Bruce will get it, get it working. Again, you need Jossie's artist to be next level better than he was last year. You need guys like Villarreal to step up and help fill some of that attacking void. You obviously have a situation with, Mar- with Marcelo Sarvis gone. you got to fill that hole at least until Gerard shows up. That's going to be a whole thing. So there are going to be some questions in L.A., but I think Robbie Keane re-upping, that's good stuff. Appreciate the call, man. 860, you're on the air. Hey, Jason. It's John from Connecticut. What's going on, man? Uh, I was looking forward to the the game tonight on MLS, and then I remembered the Unimos SAP issues from last <laughs> week. Have you, have you heard anything about them fixing that? Cause, I have not. Uh, uh, I have not heard anything about them fixing that. I, I think that that is a, I think that's a provider issue, not necessarily a Unimos issue. I think it's all about whether or not your cable provider gives you the option to take advantage of the secondary audio, audio program, whatever that thing's called. So I hope it's fixed. I, I would rather not talk about it tomorrow or uh, Monday. I'd rather not talk about whether or not people were pissed off on Friday about SAP. So I'm hoping it's fixed. Who Who's your cable provider? Let's name and shame them right here. Uh, I have Optimum, the good old cable vision. Okay. They have the... Uh... They have the change to Spanish audio SAP, but when I tried it last week, it just paused and then went right back to Spanish again. Okay, well, I hope that hopefully it's fixed, man. We'll cross your fingers for you. Hopefully, Cablevision has their crap together uh, on a Friday. I appreciate that. You got anything else? That's it, Jason. I appreciate it. Hey, look, we just got a shout out from Quick Goals Twitter account because I mentioned them as part of the the set from Fox Soccer Channel back in the day. <laughs> That's awesome. That's that makes my Friday. That makes my Friday. Uh, the soccer swell on Twitter. Klinsman coming out and saying Zella Lem is ready to come into the U.S. Men's National Senior Team already. Any thoughts? Yes, I have thoughts. Again, and I mentioned this earlier in the show. If this is about getting him cap tied, if this is about getting him in the program, getting him an ass- assessed at the senior level, I'm fine with this. I am. I think that he does, he should play for U.S. youth teams if he's eligible and there's a spot, and why wouldn't you have a spot for Gideon's LLM? And I don't think he's ready to be a major contributor to the senior team at, say, the Gold Cup. But if Clinton wants to give him a once-over, you know, again, I'm not going to complain. I, I am a little bit more conservative, and, and I'm not going to draw any, conclu- uh, any comparison to Julian Green. I think this is a very different situation. I think it's a very different kid. He's a... 
he's a, he plays a, a somewhat similar position, but he has a very different game. He's obviously coming up in the Arsenal system, and they're bringing him along slowly. I'm not. I'm. I'm not overly concerned about this. I. I my my immediate reaction was sort of what What are you talking about? No, don't rush him. But I'm not sure that that's what Klinsman's doing yet. And I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt until he proves otherwise. Three four seven seven five six six two seven six. What you got on your Friday? Bring it to me. Let's talk about it. Whatever is on your mind. Nine oh eight. You're on the air. Hey, Jason, Matt in Jersey. How you doing? What's going on, Matt in Jersey? Hey, uh, I just want to talk a minute about, uh, you know, you're talking with Jeff about NWSL. He was mentioning, uh, you know, RSL possibly bringing a, a women's team into the fold and, you know, a few years down the line. I, I'd really like to see some more MLS teams get involved and stuff like that. You know what I mean? It's uh, it's good to see when, uh, you know, the men's pro teams start to get involved in the women's side of the game, try to help the crowd. Yeah, yeah look, I mean, let let's the reality of the situation is, that the women's game is it, it needs uh, uh, it needs someone to help shepherd it along a bit, and and in this case, I mean, it'd be great if the women's game could stand up on its own two feet, and 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 the league could survive, and there were no questions about insolvency and not being able to play pay players and and everything else that's happened to to women's leagues over the last couple of uh, years, last decade or and a half or so. But the reality is. They need someone to help support them. And if the MLS teams who have established marketing teams, have established uh, uh, relationships in the community who are fixtures already, or or even if they're a new concern like, say, Orlando City, and I have no idea if they have any interest at all, but just if you have all of that stuff in place and you can bring a women's team into the fold, and again, as Jeff said, the reason that NWSL is viewed as healthier than its predecessors is because they're not paying a lot. Now, that's bad on one hand. Because these women deserve to be paid a living wage to play soccer. Damn it. But if you need to bring it along slowly as a matter of reality, then let the MLS teams help that help that happen. I'm with you on that. Yeah, I mean, if you look over at uh, kind of the WNBA, I mean, it gets backed up by the NBA. And, you know, that's a big reason why it's still around. So, uh, you know, it, it could be the same thing with MLS kind of propping up on NWSL until it uh, I, I kind think- of gets... And, I, and Matt, I think I think there's some, you know, obviously there's some cultural elements to women's professional sports that need to be broken down. I mean, there are there are ceilings that need to be broken through by women's professional sports. And I think sometimes, and this is the case with the WNBA, sometimes you have to beat people over the head with this and say, "Look, this is good. This is good sports. This is good pro sports. This is good basketball. This is good soccer. Pay attention to it." And that takes being that takes remaining. You know, remaining uh, going concern, and in order to do that, again, you need just a little bit of propping up, and and hopefully the MLS team step up in that regard. Totally with you, hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, I covered uh, women's college basketball in in uh, when I was in college, you know, so I have kind of a soft spot for that. And you know, it, once you watch enough high level of it, you you know, it doesn't matter who's playing as long as it's a good level, it's fun to watch. And I, I watched a couple of games uh, on, I think it was ESPN two last year, the NWSL. I mean, I think it was the Thorns. And it was good soccer. It was fun to watch. All right, Matt, you got anything else, man? Not looking forward to the MLS weekend, man. And uh, like you always say, it's kind of nice to uh, – it's fun when you don't really know what's going to happen this week or as the season goes on. Yep, absolutely. Thanks. Appreciate it for the phone. Appreciate the phone call. There you go. Enjoy your weekend. Three four seven seven five six six two seven six. You want to jump in. You got a couple of minutes in the last show of the week. Uh, it's been a really good week for us. Um, I remember – Alejandro Bedoya and Brad Guzan. My, my my brain doesn't really work otherwise. I know we've had some fantastic guests. Janos Mihalik was on this show. Obviously, today's guests, Dave Martinez and Jeff Kasuf. Trevor, remind me. Trevor and I have 
have terrible memories when it comes to who we've actually had on this program. We're the worst. We are the worst. Who else did we have on this show already this week? I, I you know, it just David Cartledge came on this show, gave us La Liga thoughts. That was excellent. Uh, our, our friend Eric Gomez came on this show this week and gave us Liga MX uh, thoughts. Uh, I'm looking for the schedule, by the way. Our friend Grigo Mark says uh, that Cholos plays tonight. Who does Cholos play tonight? And is that on my TV anywhere? Because I will, I will watch that. In addition to MLS, I will watch Cholos play. First place in the Clasura standings down in Mexico. Good stuff there. 347-756-6276. Anything else on your mind? Anything else you'd like to talk about? Perhaps? I, I don't know. Again, what are you looking forward to this weekend? It's a good way, a good place to start. Any games in Europe that you absolutely feel like you have to watch? Anything? What am I going to see when I wake up tomorrow if I flip over to NBC, NBC Sports? What am I going to see? Is there any good games on? Is this one of those weekends where it's a lot of, uh, a lot of duds? I haven't even looked at my schedule yet. Monaco, okay, that's in France. I don't really see much France. Bayer Leverkusen and Stuttgart, okay. Uh, my, my computer has decided to quit on me. So I don't have, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't have the schedule up right now. But I can take a look at it. F1 comes back Sunday? Why do I, this is a soccer show, Trevor. You can keep your fancy European racing to yourself, friend. This is not, this is not racing morning. Sounds terrible, by the way. <laughs> Racing morning. All right, games today. Valencia Deportu- uh, Deportivo La Coruña. That's uh, a little bit later on this afternoon. Obviously mentioned the uh, the MLS match. Uh, Houston Dynamo hosting Orlando City Soccer Club. Uh, let's look at the Premier League. Crystal Palace and Queen's Park Rangers. Oh, fantastic. Arsenal, uh, West Ham. Okay. A little London Derby action there. Leicester in Hull. So you have a couple of uh, a lower div- a lower level teams on that in that game. Sunderland. And Aston Villa. So relegation scraps all over the place. West Brom and Stoke City. Burnley and Manchester City. So there you go. Uh, there's your Premier League schedule. All right. I got a couple of tweets on this. We've got about three minutes left before I turn this show off or, or sign out. So let's go ahead and do this. Okay. Paul Douglas says, I imagine you want to talk about that Fusion American Outlaws article as much as you'd like to get a root canal. But dot, dot, dot. Uh, and so I will talk about this briefly. The reason that we didn't make a big deal out of this, and Noah Davis is an excellent writer. He knows soccer inside and out. He's been covering the American game for a long time now. I respect the hell out of Noah Davis. And I have no issues with the premise of his article, which is that there are some troubling cultural elements inside of American outlaws. That is a, I think that's a fact. I don't think that there's any arguing that. And if you are going to say, well, not all the American outlaws are racist or homophobic or misogynist, you're missing the point. The point is that stuff has propped up in enough places that it's something that needs to be dealt with. And this is what I would ask. That we stop with the, I've had a good time, I've never seen any trouble, and then the back and forth, well, uh, you know, obviously some people have. Okay. It does, this is why I haven't addressed it today and why I didn't ask for phone calls on it and why we haven't made a big deal about it because I don't want to get sucked into a tit for tat. American Outlaws is great. I made so many friends. I love it. And then another call who says, you know, I've heard some racist chants. I've seen some guys, uh, you know, grope women. I've seen guys 
be drunk idiots. We know guys are drunk idiots way too often. American Outlaws is 30,000 members strong. It's got individual chapters across the country. The, the central bureaucracy of the organization is not all that great in terms of controlling everything. I'm not sure that they ever can be. Uh, from, from the conversations I've had with the founders of AO, I have no issues with them particularly. But I do think they're taking the weaselly way out on this. Do not say, hey, we've got a code of conduct. We ask everybody to sign a pledge. There's nothing we can do about controlling every person. No, there's not. But you need to have some sort of system to allow for feedback. You need to have some sort of system for people to identify where the problems are so that it can be rooted out. Because if you're going to call yourself all-inclusive, if you're going to say that this is a supporters group for every American soccer fan who wants to be involved, you cannot have a hostile environment. You can't. I'm sorry. You just can't. If you want to go have a supporters group for the type of people who use racist slurs, who grope women, who are homophobic, who are misogynist, whatever. If you want to have a gr- group for that, fine. We'll go, go over there and we'll all ignore you because nobody's going to want to have anything to do with you. If you're going to have an all-inclusive group, please address this directly. That's the only thing I'm going to say. That's the only thing I'll ask of this. I don't want to go in, t- in depth into the story. Noah Davis wrote a story which I believe he it came from an honest place in terms of his intent. Some of the anecdotes in there, are what they are. Every single one of them should be considered seriously. And again, this does not mean that everyone who has had a good time with AO and has never seen these things can't still have a good time with AO and enjoy their membership. But you should be diligent. You should be concerned because the bad apples are giving you a bad name. All right. I'm done. That's it. I'm out. It's Friday. I'm tired. I was up at 3.30 with kids puking on me. I just can't do this anymore. I really do appreciate you listening to the show. Make sure you go to backheel.com and buy a mug right here. Backheel.com slash store right here. And then go to 3nailfc.com and buy a soccer morning t-shirt. Right now it's in blue. I think Dan and, and some people have been going back and forth on some other colors. We may look into that. Somebody asked for a Orlando City purple soccer morning t-shirt. Can we do that? Is that allowed? I don't even know if that's allowed. I don't even know. WorldSoccerTalk.com is the home of the show. Make sure you're checking them out. And I absolutely implore you to go check out Draft11.com. Very cool site. Sign up, compete against 10 people, win some cash in daily fantasy soccer. It's very, very cool. And my connection is gone. So I am gone. That's it. I'm knocking over stuff on my in my studio. All right. We'll talk to you guys on Monday. Bye.